All right, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. Um, it's been a great morning already. The worship was incredible. Our God is so good. And uh, we've been in this series where we've been looking at prayer. And in fact, we've been looking at how the disciples in the first century prayed and how much more connected and intense it seemed and perhaps some of the experiences that we've had with prayer. And today we're going to close this series. I'm going to share with you not only another trait of the way they prayed, but I'm going to share with you why their prayers are different than ours and what we have to do if we want to have the same kind of prayers they've had. Now, now Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, he didn't say if, he didn't say if you decide to, he didn't say if there's nothing else to do or you're the last three minutes before you fall asleep, or, or you know, those sorts of things. He, he said, when you pray. You see, Jesus expected his disciples to be praying. And those who were eyewitnesses to what Jesus did seem to pray differently than we do. We learn that they prayed often with their hands extended, that they reached out and touched other people. They realized that there was power in appropriate touch. They realized that when they prayed for people and they laid hands on them, that, that they were together collectively petitioning God and God was working through them to extend the spirit, the power of the spirit through them to others. We, we learned that they prayed with their eyes open. They fully, absolutely expected that God was gonna do something incredible and they didn't wanna miss it. They prayed with their voices lifted, their stomachs empty. And today we're going to note another trait of the way they prayed. They prayed with hearts that were thankful. Their thankfulness grew out of their relationship with Christ. Today we're going to look at, not at first century prayers, but at a prayer from King David a thousand years before. Perfect timing as we head into Thanksgiving weekend. Years ago, on Thanksgiving weekend, before we had Black Friday, the big deal was mom took us to Ben Franklin. And we got to look around and start thinking about our Christmas gift. And I remember when I was five years old, I walked through Ben Franklin and there it was up on the wall. It was beautiful. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It was a stuffed, fake tiger head. I'd never seen anything as magnificent as the stuffed fake tiger head. Uh, it was from that moment on the only thing I wanted because I thought if I had that fake tiger head on my wall, five years old, that people would think I was a big game hunter. <laughs> and so I wanted it, like I wanted it so bad, nothing else mattered, nothing seemed to compare, it just didn't matter. The world would never be the same if I did not get my stuffed tiger head. My parents tried to talk me out of it. You can't play with it. It's just going to sit on your wall, and after 15 minutes, you're going to be bored with it. And by the way, it's going to freak you out when the lights go out. <laughs> Wouldn't you rather have Lincoln Logs? No, I want a, I, I, I want a tiger. How about etch a sketch? No, tiger. The only thing in the world that mattered to me was that fake stuffed tiger head. I was only five. I, I didn't understand that my parents knew there were many things better than stuffed tiger heads. I couldn't imagine anything better. 
My parents were probably thinking, don't you appreciate the things we've already given you? We've already given you things so much better than a stuffed tiger head. They're probably thinking, Frank, don't you realize what we could give you? They weren't rich, but they could do better than a stuffed plaque at a Ben Franklin store. But I didn't understand. I was five years old. From my perspective, from my childish perspective, nothing could be better. Hang on a sec. Connie, they're with kids back there if you want to go. They're back there. Okay. Nothing could be better. Nothing could make me happier than a stuffed tiger plaque. I mean, I just had to have it. On Friday of this week, Black Friday, millions of people will flock to the stores and go online. And I'll be wondering, what's their stuffed tiger head? What is it? You see, you have to admit, Thanksgiving is a bizarre holiday. Seems like it has very little to do with actually giving thanks, at least to God. We, we watch parades, we watch football, we eat massive amounts of food. We take a nap, we get more food, more football. We pour over Black Friday ads and make our plans for Thursday night. We make plans for Friday. We join thousands in line. Some may even camp out in front of a store for their stuffed tiger head. We spend money we don't have on things we don't need. And we limit our thanks to a few minutes of prayer right before we pig out. We deceive ourselves into believing that we're thankful because we give God a few moments before a meal in November. And yet God commands us to be thankful every living moment that we take a breath. Every day we're alive. Paul reminded those at Thessalonica, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. That is the will of God. That's the will of Christ in our lives. That's it. I think we're a lot like me when I was five. Very nice way of saying we're childish. We go to the God of the universe who just wants a relationship with us, but who owns all. He has everything. He can give us everything, more than we can imagine, more than we comprehend, and we say, God, I want a stuffed tiger head then I'll decide after that if I want a relationship with you. Give me what I want in the moment and then we'll talk about what I want to do with our relationship. You see, we all focus on what we don't have. And then we miss the relationship and because of that, our lives aren't full of thankfulness. So how do we live thankful lives? Living a life of thanks is not about how, but rather why. And when you understand why, you'll know how. It's a byproduct of your relationship with Christ. In fact, it's the measurement of your walk with Christ. The closer you are to Christ, the more gratitude flows from your heart. It's that simple. If gratitude is not flowing from your heart every day, you've not moved close enough to Christ. You have a relational problem. You see, Christians are called to live in a constant state of thankfulness. To live in a condition where our hearts are glad no matter what circumstances we're in. 
All circumstances, even the bad ones. God said all circumstances. God said, be thankful in all circumstances. And you go, I can't do that. I just can't. I can try, but it's not real. You see, I can't do that. Can't do it, God. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to be thankful when terrible things happen. That's right, you don't. A heart of thankfulness that penetrates all circumstances doesn't come from you. It comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit as he's manifested in us. It comes from a spirit that shows us a bigger picture. A spirit that reminds us that no matter how bad our circumstances are in this moment, we live above our circumstances. We have a God who's walking with us through every circumstance and there's no circumstance above him. Did you notice verse 19 in that passage we read? Do not quench the spirit. You see, a lack of thankfulness comes from hindering the spirit in our lives. When we connect with God, when we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to move through us, thankfulness fills our heart. This verse is a promise. It has a promise at the end. I want to teach you something you probably already know, but I'm going to show you anyway. When you read the Bible and you see a verse with a promise at the end, study it backwards. Study it backwards. It's just like a math problem. If this and this equal this, then this equals this and this. Let me show you. If you want to quench the spirit in your life, then don't rejoice always. Don't pray without ceasing and don't be thankful in all circumstances. That's the message. If you want to not have and not have the spirit able to work in your life, then just make sure that you don't rejoice always, that you don't pray always, and that you are not thankful. If you want to know why it seems to you that the Spirit is quenched in your life, look at these three things. Are you joyful? Are you praying? Are you rejoicing? Are you thankful? Today we're going to conclude this series and I'm going to exit the book of Acts, and I'm going to go back, and we're going to look at the way King David prayed. David knew what it was like to live a life of thanks. He was so close to God that thankfulness naturally flowed from his heart. Just read his Psalms. He had a deep relationship with God. Thankfulness naturally flowed from that bond and from his prayers. We have a lot to learn. We're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to look at this prayer, and I want to give you the background. You see, David had come to the end of his life, the end of his rule as king. He knew it was time. He's had a great run. His son Solomon is in a good place with God at the moment. The people are in a good place with God. Solomon's going to build the temple that David wasn't allowed to build. David's given a great deal to God and he's received so much more. 
Not only a life of service and sacrifice, but David is given a great deal of his possessions, we learn. He sacrificed personally to see the temple built and God honored. You see, David could have kept all of his resources for himself as king, but instead he invested it in the future temple that his son was going to build because he wanted to let God know that his possessions didn't own him. And then he stands back and he's watching as they're getting ready to build the temple and people are bringing their resources. They poured out gold and silver and precious stones to build this incredible temple. And more importantly, they did it with the right heart. First Chronicles 29.9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they'd offered freely to the Lord, and David, the king, also rejoiced greatly. These people love their Lord. These people love God. They're they're giving of themselves. They're giving of their resources. And David, at the end of his rule, is looking back at his life and doing what I hope we do every Thanksgiving. He's taking inventory of what God's done. Not what he wants God to do in the future, not what he hopes God will, what has God done? That's what Thanksgiving's about. Pausing to think about what God has done can be blurred by busyness. That's why this season is so busy. Satan knows. If I can get you focused on other things, you'll never stop and thank God. You won't acknowledge God and study yourself. You, you, you see, we're to thank him for everything. David brings all the people together in this moment. His heart is full of joy. He's so thrilled with what God is doing. And he prays an amazing prayer, even though he's not allowed to build the temple. That had to be a huge disappointment for him. Because here's the deal. God said, David... It's not that you can't build the temple. It's not that I don't want you to build the temple. You're unworthy to build the temple. Boom. A lot of people would have gone off the deep end right there. You're unworthy, David. You see, you're after my heart and you love me, but you're a murderer. You're an adulterer. Yes, I've forgiven you, but consequences follow. And this is the consequence. Your hands are dirty. You're not allowed to build the temple, David. I'm going to let Solomon, your son, do it. And in the midst of that, he prays this incredible prayer. Let me begin to read it. We're going to unpack it. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. Now picture this. Picture the MLK speech at Washington Monument. That's about how many people are the assembly. It's not a group like this. It's a big, big group. David is in front of them. He has been their king. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand... It is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Wow. This part of the prayer can be summed up in two words. 
Sovereign Lord. You see, the first thing that we're to acknowledge in our prayers is that we are praying to sovereign God. You want to revamp your prayer life? Focus on that at the beginning of every prayer. He is sovereign Lord. He owns it all. He created it all. He can do it all. He's working out his plan. You are surrendered to sovereign Lord. Every prayer needs to be bathed in that reality. Not because he needs to hear it, but we need to hear ourselves say it. You see, because it's easy for us to begin to think this thing's all about us. And we're sovereign in our lives. No, we're not. No. He's sovereign whether you acknowledge it or not. He was sovereign when you rejected him. You grew up and he's sovereign when you surrendered to him. And he'll be sovereign every day of eternity forever because he's always been sovereign. He created it all. Why should we remind ourselves of who God really is when we pray? Why is it important to know that he's sovereign Lord? Because that's how Jesus taught them to pray. When they said, Jesus, teach us how to connect like you connect. Teach us how to pray the way you pray. See, because when you pray, God, things happen. Things are, you're changed. There, there's something happening when you pray. You're connecting. We're going through rituals of prayer at the synagogue. You're actually having a conversation. We can see the difference in you when you come back from praying. You're empowered. You're emboldened. There's something about you. We can tell that you've been with the Father. There's something about the way you pray. So when Jesus taught him how to pray, he started like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Translated, sovereign Lord. Lord in heaven. Lord who has a kingdom that will come. Lord who will do on earth what he did in heaven. You are sovereign Lord. Trust me, every prayer you pray, convince yourself before you pray to start out thinking about who you're praying to. And the fact that he is in he is sovereign in your life. He's sovereign in your circumstance. Nothing has surprised him. Nothing has changed him. It prepares your heart to pray. You want to amp up your prayer life? Start right there. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. All riches and honor come from you. There's nothing I can seek in the world that comes like what comes from you. I shouldn't look to the world for answers to my issues. I shouldn't try to solve them myself. You see, because all riches and all honor come from you. And because I realize that, because I know that, I thank you. You're not just God, you're our God. You're my God. Uh, we have a relationship. So I'm praising your glorious name. Note here that David lists five things. Lists are important in the Bible. Greatness, 
power, glory, victory, and majesty. If you want to spend some time meditating on God and his character, pick those five. Just sit down somewhere, begin to pray, Sovereign Lord, show me about your power. Show me about your glory. Remind me of your victories. Remind me of your majesty. It's a great way to actually spend Thanksgiving. All riches and honor come from you. Now we thank you. Praise your name. And David then moves from who are you, God, to himself. And I don't want you to miss this. Because every time you begin to realize just how holy and glorious and sovereign God is, you begin to realize just how little you are. And that's a great place to live with Christ. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of you, of your own we've given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners and all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow. There's no abiding. We're not staying here. Abide means to stay. To, to be there with the presence of staying. He's like, we're not even here. Our Lord, our God, all this abundance that we provided for building you a house from your holy name comes from your hand and it's all your own. You see, God, we've realized that we've given to the temple, but we only gave what you gave us. If you hadn't given it to us, we wouldn't have it. God, you're so big. Who are we that we should be able to give willingly? He moves from big God to little us. Who are we that we can give back to you? What could we possibly have to offer you, God? You're God. We're nothing in comparison. We can't give you anything you had already given us. Why would you, God, provide for us so richly? We're all just passing through life. Our days here are like a shadow. We're not here forever. This isn't even our home. God, the only way we can give lavishly back to you is because we've already received lavish gifts from you. It's all yours. It all came from your hand. It's all your own. I remember when my daughter was about 10 years old. She sat me down, which was sort of her trend. And she said, Dad, I figured something out. Big revelation. I thought, oh, that's fantastic, honey. What's up? I just realized that every gift that me and my brothers have ever given you for Christmas, you paid for. <laughs> it just hit me. You gave us the money to buy the gift for you. You see, God owns it all. We, we, he can only give us what we've received from him. There's nothing we give God that he didn't give us first. David continues, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, 
Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the heart of your people and direct their hearts towards you. What David's saying is, God, please allow them to always be thankful, to always be giving. God, you test the heart. Giving is a measure of our love for you. We give to those things and people that we love. Those we have a relationship with. David says, look, I've given freely. I know where my heart is, but look at the people, God. I am so proud of them. I've seen your people, God, who are here, not only offering freely, but doing it with joy. God, do you see them, right? Look at them. They're bringing gifts. God, look at how much they love you. God, please don't let this moment end. It's everything I want. It's everything I hope to be. Keep moving their hearts to you, God. Long after I'm gone, make their heart move to you. Keep this purpose in their heart and direct their hearts to you. And then he turns to his son. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statues performing all, and that he may build a palace for which I've made provision. You want to pray for your kids? That he keeps your commandments, that he keeps your testimonies, that he keeps your statutes, and that he performs all. God, please, my son Solomon. Please, please, God, grant my son a heart that always chases after you, who loves your commandments, who loves your testimonies. Not just that he knows them, but he keeps them. God, he's going to need a pure heart to build the palace. I couldn't do it. David prayed that day for the generations to come, for his son Solomon, for God's temple, for the people of Israel. Did you notice what he didn't pray for? He never prays a single word for himself. That's what a grateful heart does. Grateful hearts pray selfless prayers. I don't need anything, God. I got you. David has learned thanks living. His life hasn't been perfect. He's an adulterer, a murderer, a liar. Yet God said he was a man after his own heart. What did he learn from those circumstances that moved him to a heart of gratitude? David used the uncomfortable times in his life to draw close to God, to develop a relationship with him. David lived what James would later teach the early believers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." Let perseverance finish its work. In other words, God tells us through James, if you want to be mature and complete, get comfortable being uncomfortable. We've highlighted this so many times. Our goal is not to be comfortable here on earth. That's not our goal. It's, this isn't our home. I keep saying it. We're not here forever. We're only here for a little while, like a shadow. We've been given strict instructions not to be conformed to this world. 
not to get comfortable here, not to store up things for ourselves here. Our world has made an idol out of comfort. Above all else, we just want to be comfortable. Too often, we've made our comfort more important than our God. You see, when circumstances in our life make us uncomfortable, we cry out to God, God, I'm uncomfortable. Don't you see that? God, take this illness away. Take this hurt away. God, fix this. I don't like the way it makes me feel. Where are you, God? It's interesting that our prayers often ask God to put us in a place where we no longer need him. Let me repeat that. Our prayers often ask God to put us in a place where we no longer need him. Rather than persevering through trials and drawing closer to God, we ask him to fix them and get us out. You see, because we're more interested in being comfortable than being closer to Jesus. So often, we just ask God to take away the very thing that's keeping us close to him, the very thing that's actually making us pray today. We choose comfortable and incomplete over stretched and matured. Our comfort is not the goal of those who follow Christ. Following and becoming like Christ is our goal. If you're here because you think following Christ is going to make you comfortable, I'm sorry, you've been sold a lie. And comfort was never our goal. Christ Jesus on earth was almost all, was always at peace, almost. There's a moment in the garden where you could argue. But he's always at peace, but he was never comfortable. So what can we learn from David? Well, the first thing I want us to remember is that David focused on, or we focus on religion, but David focused on relationship. The center of our obedience must be greater desire to know God. The reason you do things, your Bible study, your prayer, you serve, it has to be to know and love God more, not to check it off your to-do list. The purpose of everything you do with Christ Everything, going to church, serving, reading the Bible, praying, it all must focus on building your relationship with Jesus. We must want to know Jesus more than we want to know what Jesus can do for us. Second thing we can learn from David, we focus on the gift, David focused on the giver. We want to stuff tiger head. It's not what we need. It's not even what God had planned for us. In fact, God wants to give us something even more amazing that we can't even imagine. So we miss out on God while we hold a death grip on something that means nothing. We focus more on our desires than God's desires for us. And worse, we start grading our God on what he does for us. We decide and we, how God is doing as our genie. That's not a relationship, that's superstition. We become consumers looking for the best deal rather than contributors looking for God's heart. You see, our prayers should sound like this. 
Our prayers often sound like this. God, please remove this discomfort from my life. God, make me comfortable so I can get back to being God. Because God, I'm not interested in the giver. I just want the gift. Give me what I want and I'll worship you until I decide I want something else that you need to give me. You see, God, because I'm really just playing a game here. I'm hoping you're dumb enough not to see through it. Because I'm not really worshiping you at all. I'm using you to worship me. If you're obsessed with what God can do for you, you probably have no idea what he's already done. If you're obsessed with what God can do for you, you have no idea what he's already done. If you want more of Jesus' stuff instead of more of Jesus, then there's a good chance you don't understand who Jesus is. Third thing we can learn from David. We don't even understand the real gift. But David understood that God's gift to us is himself. He is the gift. The great prize is more of Jesus. Jesus died for us. He gave up everything for us. We don't appreciate what we've already received. We've been saved and we act like he owes us more than that. He died for us. And we just want to know if we can have the stuffed tiger head. Do you realize what God has already given you? We were dead men walking. Destined for eternity in hell. He sent his son to save us. We couldn't save ourselves. We had no hope. And while we were worshiping ourselves, God still pursued us. And he opened our eyes so that we could believe. And then he gave us the faith to actually make a decision. You and I did nothing except agree with God on what God had just made obvious. God says, look, I did it because I'm all about having a relationship with you. You see, when you surrendered to me, I put my spirit in you. Have you forgotten what I've done? Have you forgotten me? Has your salvation become stale and comfortable? You see, David knew the key to thanks living. The key to living a life full of thankfulness is to realize what you've already received. When we embrace what God has done, we want more of Jesus and nothing else. Thanks livers pray like this. Sovereign God, please don't ever allow me to get comfortable. Keep me constantly stretched. If you have to remove some of the blessings that you've given to me so I can have more of you, Jesus, so be it. Because the answer, God, is yes, I do want more of you. I want more of who you are no matter what happens to me. Not just more of your stuff. God, if you never give me another thing, I will thank God for what I've already received every day that you allow me to live. And not just a moment before some Thanksgiving meal. You see, I've learned a lot since I was five. When we're five, fake stuffed tiger heads rule. Good thing we outgrow our childish behavior, right? God asks us, what do you want? Well, money, God, I want more money. 
If I just had more money, everything would be great. I'd be set. I'd come to church and worship you. I'll even give you some of it. A husband, God, that's what I need. I need a husband. Doesn't have to be a good one, just an average one. It's okay, just send me a husband. Children, God, I really want children. A great job, God, I need a great job. Good health, God, I need good health. Comfort, God, I really, really want to be comfortable. God, are you listening to me? We pray like five-year-olds. Yes, God would say, I'm listening very carefully to your ungrateful heart. The one that fakes it on Thanksgiving and almost every other day of the year. I hear you loud and clear. You don't want more of me. You just want more of you. You see, Kylie, my daughter, knew that the only thing that she could give me is from what I'd already given her. But what she was too young to know is that all I really wanted was the love in her heart. Gift never mattered. I wanted her to want more of me. I wanted her to invest in our relationship. The joy came from knowing that she was at the store thinking about me. My parents were right. That stuffed tiger head entertained me for about 15 minutes. Nobody believed that I was a big game hunter. And that first night, it scared the bejeebers out of me. I never slept in that room until that thing was gone. You see, the things we want, they come and go. And as soon as we have them, we call it buyer's remorse. I call it sinful choice. The things we want never last. Health, jobs, marriages, earthly life. It's a shadow, he says. It's nothing, has nothing to do with what you really need. Everything in this earth is fleeting except him. You see, we live a life of thanks when we live constantly aware of our need for Jesus. In comparison, every other pursuit you have is a total waste of time. In the end, as you look back over your life like David did, I pray that your heart's full of gratitude because you realize that all you get that lasts is more of Jesus and he's always been the prize. You see, living a life of thanks is about understanding that all you ever needed was Jesus and he's everything. If that's not enough for you, you don't know him. Maybe the, every time you tried to draw close to him, you would only do so if he withdrew the thing that's keeping you close to him. You see, for so many of us, we've chosen comfort and we've missed Jesus. We missed the very gift while having a death grip on our stuffed tiger. You settled for a fake stuffed tiger head on plastic wood when Jesus, the real gift, stood by saying you're going to get bored with that. In dark times, it's not going to sustain you. You're going to be scared. I have so much more to offer you. But first I have to know something, Jesus says. Do you really want me above everything else? Do you really want me above everything else?
You see, those in the first century had this question nailed down without hesitation or doubt. That's why their prayers were different. They knew that they knew that they knew that Jesus was everything to them. And they prayed out of that truth. You wanna know why they prayed differently than we do? They knew that Jesus was the most important thing ever, ever, and ever. You wanna pray like those in the first century? You wanna pray expecting that God's gonna do something incredible and miraculous? You wanna pray with an understanding of God's plan? You wanna pray and know that you're connecting with the God who created everything. Do you want to experience an intimacy with Christ that in every way completes who you are? You wanna wake up in the morning excited that you get to talk to God? To know that no matter what you experience in life, it'll be an experience with the Almighty. You wanna live your life praying without ceasing? You and I can pray with our hands extended and with our eyes open and our stomachs empty and our voices lifted and yes, with our hearts thankful. When we truly decide in our heart of hearts that the most important thing in our lives is knowing Jesus, that he is the gift, that he's everything and yes, every day we do want more of him no matter what that means. Anything, anytime, anywhere, any price. Give me Jesus. Then we, like the first century disciples, pray out of the experience of that relationship. Because our relationship with Jesus changes everything. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've recorded these incredible moments in history when men of God who are at the end of their lives look back and teach us so much about what they've learned. God, somewhere along the way in our Western civilization, we have replaced you with idols. One of your first commandments. So God, right now in this room, there are many people thinking, processing, the Spirit speaking. This week, as we move into a week of thanksgiving, would you help us to identify the fake stuff tigers that are keeping us from you? Would you help us to let go? Would you help us, God, to spend some time thinking about all that we've already received, about the value of our relationship with you, about your sovereignty and our humility? Would you help us, God, to realize that there's nothing we've ever given you that you didn't give us first, including life? So help us, God, this week as we leave this room to begin living every day with thanks, to commit to rejoicing always, to thank you always, and to praise you always. God, open our hearts so our relationship with you can go deeper, tear down any obstacles that are in our way. Help us, God, to have less of us and more of you. 
so we too can pray like those in the first century. And we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you.